0: Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Huffpower. Hey guys, welcome
1: to the Dear Doc Podcast. Thank you for joining us again. This is Dr. Christopher Hoffpower, your host, and I'm coming to you now from my home studio here in Alvin, Texas. And guys, today, do I have a treat for you. Everybody knows the name Carl Misch. They know about the Mish Institute. And unfortunately, Carl, as a giant in implantology, has, has passed. But he left a clear line of succession. Today, I'm going to introduce you to Dr. Randy Resnick. Randy, how the hell are you today?
0: Great, great. Thanks for having me with you today.
1: It, truly, my pr- pleasure. Um, just in, the, in the, the, the short time that I've known you, I've uh, been very impressed by not just your, your, your knowledge, but your ability to take a very complex subject and to distill it down into something that every general dentist can understand, should understand, and should do. And the reason that we brought you on today is to talk a little bit about the economics of dental implants and, and why every GP out there should be doing them. But before we do that, tell me a little bit about who you are, Randy. You know, tell me about your life as a dentist and and your path getting here.
0: Okay. So, um, I grew up in a dental household. My, my father was a, uh, old-time prostodontist for probably 40 years in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so I always wanted to go to dental school. When I went into dental school, I really liked prosthetics, but I really like surgery. At that time, when I was at the University of Pittsburgh, Carl Misch uh, started a residency program in implantology. And also he was going through a Pross residency at the same time. So Carl and I got to know each other. We, uh, Carl's brother Craig was also a resident. We were all residents together in the same program. And then uh, after we got through the PROS program, we um, went on to the implant surgery fellowship. And that's where a lot of these principles that we still teach today were the genesis of a lot of these principles so uh, from that point uh, we've myself and Craig we were involved with the uh, Misch Institute and now that Carl unfortunately passed in 2017 I've kind of taken over the reins so I've been with Carl through from the beginning of the Misch Institute. We're the largest implant training uh, center in the world. We probably train more dentists than uh, any other training facility and it's mainly based on Carl Misch's classifications and protocols which are universally used throughout the world.
1: I am I, I have had the the great pleasure of meeting some of the greats in dentistry, and and one of those that I consider one of the greats is Dr. Paul Homily. and um, he told me once he he and he and Carl were were chatting, and if, if you know Paul, he he likes to hang out at the bar after CE, and um, oh yeah, which is, which is where I met him, <laughs> yeah. and, um, and he said you know one day he and Carl were chatting, and Carl shook his head, he said. Paul, I could make a living for the rest of my life just fixing the problems I see with implants that come into my practice. Uh, From what I understand, he he, he teaches one of the things that I, or, or taught one of the things that I truly, truly believe that most implant organizations, most implant institutes and courses are lacking, and that is what to do when everything goes wrong. Because that really, you should be starting from a foundation of that kind of knowledge because that's the thing that keeps, I think, people from implementation. And a little bit later, we're going to talk about the effect that that's had on your uh, on your students and the number of people who have implemented after taking your your courses. So, so tell me yeah. a little bit about the Mish Institute in and of itself.
0: Well, the Mish Institute is. It started out as basically a surgical course. Now. Uh, We have a prosthetic course, we have a complication course, uh, we have a CBCT course. Uh, My input on the Institute right from the beginning was radiology. I did my master's thesis on uh, CT scans, so that was back in the late 80s. So I've always been lecturing on that. Uh, It's interesting you talk about the complications because throughout the years of the Institute, Carl, I I got to hear all the complications that doctors across the country would have. So about 2010, I go to Carl, I go, you know, Carl, the next book, let's write a complications book. And he said, no, no, no. I go, really, it needs to be written. Absolutely. so I finally talked him into it around. 2013. And unfortunately, he got sick shortly thereafter, but I did write the book and I finished the book. And what I always tell Dennis, and I tell them that at our first session, if you want to be very, if you want to take your practice to the next level and become the implant person in your community, you read this complications book and learn how to fix things. Because just like what you said, what Carl said to Paul Homley, you if you there's a niche in dentistry on complications, not many people want to uh, treat implant complications or know how to treat them. If you do, you're going to build your practice because one complication leads to another, leads to another. And everyone learns that you're the one to go to. But anyway, that's a little side point of that with our program. Um, We have, what I like about our doctors that go through, these are committed um, doctors. At the very beginning of the Mission Institute, they were mainly specialists. Oral surgeons and periodontists came through. Now it's almost all general dentists. And I've really strived to make it where a general dentist can go to the next level. I hear, I see so many dentists that come to our program that are so tired of the drill and the fill, um, insurance-based practice, and they need to do something different. And all they have to do is listen to us. And, and, and like the numbers, when we look at what our graduates do, it's unbelievable. It transforms them, their practice, their um, everything about their life, it takes it to the next level. So,
1: you know, it's funny, I have a, a good friend who does a lot of sleep dentistry. Her name is um, Dr. Magna Dasani. And um, she, she talks about love languages or the languages people communicate in. And And you, man, you speak my love language, efficiency and getting off of insurance. So you can be paid as a professional, what it is that you truly deserve. Now, personally, for me, a big part of my journey to becoming a fee-for-service practice and becoming successful as, as a dentist was the ability to do things that insurance didn't pay for. And implants is one of those things. Can, now I've asked you to talk a little bit about, um, about the, the ROI that people get from courses like this. And you went a step further for me. For the first time in the history of this podcast, someone actually went out and made a 30-page PowerPoint hmm. that, that explained every single thing in detail. So, guys, you are going to get a, mini, a miniature implant I, I should hesitate to say many implants in the same course that I, I'm talking about the mission institute because I, I know how he <laughs> felt about those. So uh, a a micro version of an implant course here, and um, I I'm going to give you the floor. So Randy, okay. if you yeah. Mind. So
0: what I do is it I, I feel that you know there's so much information out there, and for doctors to absorb it all. It's very difficult. That's why a lot of our doctors come through two and three times through our program. But what I do now is every one of my slides in our program, I give it to them in a handout. So everyone, so it was very easy. And I think it's a good way to learn if there is a PowerPoint. So I did put one together for you now. So let me see if I can share the screen.
1: And and Randy, is that something that you can send me for me to post for our members?
0: Oh, definitely. I'll, I'll send you this so you can post it. Or So basically, um, what Chris wanted me to talk about is basically how to build a, a frugal practice and not really get in over your head and make it profitable for you. Which, and which I, like which I said- Full
1: disclosure, Randy, the reason I asked you that is because I spent too much and it took me years to okay. get out of the debt I accumulated. So I think that what you're doing right now- is going to save a whole lot of dentists, a whole lot of heartaches on yeah. the planning. So thank you.
0: Yeah, so let me, I'll, I'll take that to the next level. One thing that I saw year after year, doctors going through our program, is they get this education and they get all, they know how to do things, but the expense of starting it was so absorbent that it didn't need to be. So what I've done is I've dummied it down a little bit to where this is what all that you need to start a practice and you can basically turn a profit in a week after this what a lot of our graduates i always tell my goal is you spend one weekend with us that next weekend or that next week in private practice if you implement what we teach you you will pay for the course pay for all your expenses and then you'll have Um, a net profit after it and it it usually happens but anyway so let's let's get in because I do have um, you know general dentists are in the perfect position to start an implant practice Uh, you know as a specialist uh, a lot of specialists don't like general dentists to do implants I'm not complete opposite I think every general dentist should be placing implants. To be honest with you, I, you know, I, I, here's one uh, root canal on the right side. Um, the last root canal I did was in 1986. Um, to do root canal, I think that's probably about 10 times more difficult than an implant. An implant's one of the easiest procedures that you will do. Uh, I can, our doctors, I can train doctors to do a lateral wall sinus lift in about 20 minutes. A lot of people can't do a composite, posterior composite in 20 minutes. So it's all about training. And the big thing is treatment planning. You have to know which are the good cases, which are the bad cases. But general dentists are in the perfect position. They see patients every single day that need implants. If you look in Europe, about 90% of general dentists are doing surgically placing implants. In the United States, it's going up but it's still around 15%. Do you, that think, should be, do you think
1: that's because of fear? Do you think it's because of fear of the yeah, unknown or it, fear of Yeah, it is.
0: I, I, it it is. And my my other hobby is um, I do a lot of malpractice cases defending doctors I almost every day I'm doing and I see where doctors get in the trouble and A lot of it is the treatment plan. And then the fear from that prevents them from getting in. And the way that we teach this, it's very basic. You will never get in the trouble if you adhere to these principles. So the the bottom line is everyone, if you go to your charts, you will find implant patients. I guarantee I could go in anyone's office and pull 10 charts and one one or two of those patients would be implant patients, but you have to integrate it into your practice and that includes your staff you know your staff has to understand what you do uh, we, we do sometimes where um, the, we do a uh, auxiliary course and what our staff does is they'll call doctors offices and act like a patient asking for implants and you wouldn't believe what some of the front desks um, reception say, oh, I, they don't know what a dental implant. Yeah. Well, no, we refer them here. We do this. It's So you have to get everyone on board, but there's plenty of patients out there. As for revenue, I'll tell you what, I have seen doctors double, triple, quadruple their practices in you know one to two years. A great article is Charles Vogel article. I, I lecture on this a lot. Uh, this is in, uh, dental economics, and he goes through um, you can still refer cases but if you start doing procedures in your office you just exponentially increase your profits there so as we know and what chris made a great point you know i can't tell you the, the doctors they're so tired of the insurance Um, I never took insurance, so I, I just know the bad things, what people tell me about it. And I can't imagine every day, just going in and working for things that basically you're losing money on and you're spinning your wheels. This gives you an out and it's an easy out because everyone has the skill to do it. And, you know, if we look at these are, um, this is our fee schedule that we give out the missions to kind of my fee schedule in the ADA. And most of these procedures aren't covered by insurance. So basically this is the, the fees that you're going to be charging. And, you know, I I read an article that said where uh, if a doctor works about 40 hours a week doing general dentistry and they start doing implants, they can take that down to about 16 hours.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay, And the same net profit, um, in, in uh, less than half the time. Uh, what I like to see, my goal is to get every doctor to be placing implants. We will have, we have a course coming up in Texas uh, in uh, Dallas, less than a month, our, our and, first course. And, and you guys it,
1: actually gave our members in the business of dentistry a special discounted rate on that. So thank you for that.
0: Yeah, actually, um, uh, Heidi, our administrative director gave me a slide. It's at the very end that there's a, uh, and I'll I'll explain that. But what I always like to see, doctors, I I really push them, and they will email me. I I look at every one of their cases. I look at their CT scans. We have a CT company there that actually they'll treatment plan it, but I approve it before they do before the doctor does it. But this is what. Um, our grads do 98% placing implants, 97 performing bone grafts, and in their first year they increase their income by by 23%. So it's really significant, and this is only the start because it just builds upon each year you learn to do more and more. But what, what do I what don't I like about this? Because too many doctors fall prey to the salespeople. Um, it's just the way it is. And I hate to see it. Uh, so I'm a, I, I, I'm a huge advocate on buying only what you need. You don't need all these bells and whistles. So the the first area is instruments. You know, you see these instrument kits, which will might cost you $2,500, all these kits, you don't need that. So for every procedure that we do i have selvin do it they call it the resnick frugal kit it's the bare minimum and a lot of these instruments you will have in your practice so you don't need so you can just kind of pick which ones you have to add to it and i'm very simple when i do surgery i don't want to see a lot of instruments because then that's too difficult you know it's not a hard procedure if you go by the protocol and so you don't need all these instruments uh, I have this in my textbook, too. I go through the instruments that you need, the ones that maybe in the future, when you get more elaborate, you can add on. But at the beginning, you certainly don't need it. So, As for implants,
1: so many we'll, of we'll, our okay.
0: doctors. On, on, your,
1: on your instrument kit, I, I'm going to make a suggestion and very humbly here because I know what an amazing knowledge base you've gotten implants but couldn't you reduce your number of instruments in that package by one if you use an olsen hagar needle driver instead of a standardized needle driver
0: yes yes and th- those are some of the um in fact i have that in textbook some of the more it. yeah it this is just um, a basic one that they put together, and, a, and we actually really have that. Though. We teach that. We use those in the, our laboratories. I've, but, I've got something to um, send
1: you. I, I actually created a combination Olson Hagar Castro Viejo. Okay. And that is a small needle driver. Okay. I'm going to send you a couple of them. Let me, okay. let me Let me send those to you. And if you use them, you love them. Just tell people about them. I don't even make a cent off yeah. of it. I just commissioned a company to make them.
0: Yeah. Um, in another example is, uh, sinus graph curettes. Uh, if you buy these kits, they'll have 15 instruments in them. Um, I've done probably thousands and thousands sinus graphs. You need two instruments. That's all you need. Two instruments. And, but a lot of people are oversold. So that's the first, um, area. Second is implants. Uh, doctors really get oversold on these, uh, you know, and Chris will probably vouch for this implants work. Now it's not like the old days when, you know, if you were one of the Paul Homleys, you know, when we first started doing this back in the eighties and nineties, you know, instruments, the parts wouldn't fit together. Some wouldn't work. The coatings were bad. Now everything's FDA approved. Most implants work. They have their little bells and whistles to them, but you have to be careful when you look at an implant, um, how much does an implant cost to make? Okay. Um, Pinnies. People Pinnies. would be surprised. It's less than, um, probably less than $5 to make an implant. So to buy an implant that is um, a premium implant like this, uh, there's five or six companies that still charge $350 for an implant. It's crazy. That's
1: and then insane. I always
0: feel bad for the, the general dentist because what I see and being a specialist, I get sold this bill of goods. Okay, put my implant in. I'm gonna give you instead of 350, I'm gonna charge you 200. But then what we'll do is we're gonna make it up on the restorative phase. So now the poor general dentist gets the abutment and instead of an abutment, which should cost about $100, they're being charged $250 or whatever. So you have to be careful, these premium companies. And if you look at these premium companies, a lot of them now have value or discount implants as an alternative, because now they're figuring out that it's not working. Uh, what I do recommend people stay away from is this, the discount <laughs> ones. Okay.
1: I love that you're in Alabama. Um, there. That's great.
0: So for a couple reasons, as I, I, I defend dentists all the time, and I see this happening. They'll, they'll get an implant for $30, but then it's not restorable. And then the patient, it goes somewhere else. And now someone else throws the first dentist under the bus and now it gets real ugly. So you don't want to do that. You want to, st- there's enough companies out there. I use the han implant from Glidewell, uh, you know, probably 130, $140 an implant. It, that, that's great. But what I like about this system or the value implant systems is you can get these, bundle packages where you get the motor, the implant and an inventory, what you want to be careful of, if you go back to those premium implants, you know, doctors would buy one implant at a time. So you're doing an implant in number 19, you want a five by 12 implant, but you go in and you find out, you know what, I can't put a 12 in, I need a 10 millimeter, but you don't have it. Yep. So I like doctors to have an inventory and I, I agree. when you're paying $350 an implant, that That's is hard to do. really hard to swap in and why do that? So uh, actually with the, the glidewall, they have the Resnick kit where I actually hand pick here. This one on the upper left is 20 implants. I picked the 20 most common sizes. And so the doctors, they can just get those 20 and no matter what type of surgery they're doing, they're going to be covered.
1: I'm going to tell you right now, Randy, uh, that was whenever I first started off, one of my biggest, uh, you know, interbulations is I couldn't figure out which implants I was going to need because they didn't teach me in the course what the most common sizes were and how, you know, how was I know how many of each one I was going to need, you know, over, over seven years or so I've, I've gotten my system down pretty well. We do exactly what you said. We keep an inventory, maybe 10 of the most common and then three of the, you know, the, the least of, of the next least common one, one of yeah. the rares, maybe sometimes, but in a lot of those situations where it's a rare implant, let's say it's a, I'm going to be placing a six by six of something and I don't have it in stock. I'll just tell the patient, Hey, look, this is a very rare size. I'm gonna to have to order it. I will get it next, next, next day air, you know, yeah. no big deal. You don't have to keep everything in your office. You are not a warehouse. You're a dental practice, Yes, but you should yes. have the minimum most common. And I, Randy, I, yes. I just love that you did this for them because it takes a yeah. pain point out.
0: Yeah. But what I hear is a doctor will call me the day before surgery and they'll say, oh, you know what? Maybe I should order one size um, longer, one size shorter. And then what they do is they'll call their company and they'll say, okay, um, overnight, next morning, those two implants. But then they see they have a fifty dollar charge yeah. for overnighting, and then they it it, it makes no sense. You so that's what I that. like. Yeah, and doctors, a lot of them are associates now. They don't have the ability to do that either because a lot of them they can't order. So um, the the bottom line why I did this is to you don't need to go with you know the top implant company out there the the top seller that's not the way it is. You just have to use a good reputable company that you can get parts to in the future. you never wanna put yourself at risk where you buy this, you know, the Alibaba uh, implant and then you can't restore it because now you have an implant in the jaw that can't be restored. And now you have a patient that's well, upset. You
1: also, you also don't know legitimately that this implant has FDA clearance. If they don't have a 510K on file, then you are committing malpractice, aren't you?
0: Exactly, exactly. And in, and it looks bad. Even if it's not a deviation from the standard of care, it looks very sloppy. Right. Okay. Uh, so if something happens and you, know, you just don't want to put yourself in that position. And you don't have to because there's alternatives now. So in the alternatives are... Um, financially feasible for most doctors.
1: Absolutely.
0: So, uh, the next area that I think people really get oversold on is bone graft material. So, uh, if you look at there's four types of bone graft, and I wish we had enough time. I could talk about this for like two hours. Absolutely. But uh, there are different types of bone graft material, and the companies out there will tell you, oh, use this one because this heals faster, this and that. Bone heals by the way the type of bone it is an allograft bone is basically the best there's two types there's mineralized and demineralized um bottom line demineralized resorbs faster but it's osteoinductive so it induces bone growth mineralized stays around longer so it maintains the space which you need to grow new bone but it's also osteoconductive so when you buy the bone a uh combination of mineralized demineralizes best that's what we use for a long long time the problem with that is that you would have to buy two vials one demineralized one mineralized right. and add them together now you have added expense the easiest way now is uh like LifeNet through Salvin. they have a demin min blend okay exactly so exactly you get the benefits of both and for an extraction site, for a ridge augmentation, that's all that you need. So be very, very careful with bone. And you know when you're when you're buying bone and you're looking at say one cc and you're going over a hundred dollars per one cc, you know that it's way no. too much, that's and true. you don't need to. And you want to make max. sure though it's FDA approved. You do yes. want to make sure the bone is well. And there's and
1: there's, there's really there's there's what three or four tissue banks across the United States that are FDA approved, right? And they just yes. resell it to everybody else. And sometimes they'll exactly and like mixing it. So I actually use Maxius because I can get it for sixty five dollars instead of for, for for a CC rather than you know one hundred twenty five dollars or whatever it is some of these places are charging. But
0: yeah. I, and even more, that some of these one cc uh, allograft will, two hundred and fifty dollars because wow. they spin it some different way. But if um, I have a whole chapter on this in the textbook, if you learn how bone heals, then you would realize that you know, unless you're using bone growth factors, there's really no way to enhance it. But you have to use the right bone. Right, right and, and I do bone. want to
1: get into some bone growth factors in a little bit, and also. Um, yeah, mesenchymal stem cells and things like that with PRF, and we can yes. we can chat about that after this. But I see a very important, a very very important uh, slide up right now, which is the bankruptcy motor and the, you have a profitable practice motor. So let's talk about that. A
0: little. Actually, I, I love that, but I, I love that terminology. So one of the problems, as I said, um, our MISH doctors, we, I, I would get to know these doctors. And then at the very end, they would go to buy a motor such as this one on the left. And you know, $10,000, $15,000 for a motor because it has all the bells and whistles. It, it sings to you. It has a fiber optic, all this. Um, I'm more old school. I like things that are proven and can work, but they don't bankrupt you. So Absolutely. I have this Aseptico motor here on the right. Now, when I started private practice 32 years ago, I bought an Aseptico motor and I still have that. It still works. They're workhorses. Now, the difference in that is probably about $8,000. Oh, so um, the Aseptico are great. They're workhorses and they're very, very inexpensive. So be very careful. You know, that you'll be sold to build goods oh. because this one does this and that. And absolutely. The, the other problem that you have is when these motors go bad and they need to re- be refurbished. To refurbish that motor cable on that Aseptico is probably going to be three $400. The one on the left is going to be $1,500, yeah.
1: I I've, so, I've had that same exact motor, except I'm cheaper than you. I got the one foot pedal. I didn't get the variable, uh, the one where you can click all your settings. Okay. Uh, okay. So okay. Besides my feet are so big, I'd hit really? them all at one time. You know.
0: <laughs> Actually, I don't like all those. Um, they're too hard to, to use. And I, I do like the, the one... Uh, stuff. And uh, it makes it a lot easier. I
1: completely uh, agree.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if we look at some of the mistakes to conclude where doctors fall prey to mistakes. And the first thing I, I use this slide all the time with our doctors. You don't need a surgery suite. Everyone wants to buy, have a surgery suite. That's the last thing you need. You don't need a surgical light, whatever. Use your regular operatory as long as it's, you know, eight by eight, you can do anything in there. Um, you don't need a surgery suite whatsoever. And you don't need right off the bat to be buying PZO surgery units. You don't need to be buying lasers. Um, you'll You'll hear about navigational surgery. This is all stuff that's nice, but, you know, to spend $50,000 on a robotic arm to put the implant in, mm. I can show you how to do it in about Three minutes with zero stress to set one of these units up. It takes first of all, you need an extra auxiliary, so that's costing you yeah. money. Secondly, it'll take you a couple hours to set it up, and then you have to calibrate it. it makes no sense. Well, these guys,
1: if I'm not mistaken, I believe that's the nav you're looking at there. And whenever the um, whenever it first came out, if I'm not mistaken, it was two engineers from iCAT who originated iCAT yes. when they sold yes. the company they were selling these things for $23,000 at the time begging people to take them and now if i'm not mistaken they're like 75 grand and same yeah. technology nothing's changed it's just now there's more acceptance and so now they don't have to be begging people to, to take the units
0: yeah no no you're right and you know there's a place some people like it but um if you learn fr- first of all you have to understand general dennis what do they do every day? They use this. Yep. They use a handpiece. A lot more than any of the specialists do.
1: Absolutely, You have
0: the skill. The manual dexterity to do any procedure is you already have it. You just have to learn that specific well, skill. And the way I tell and, people,
1: when I, I, have, I have students who come into my office a lot who are just graduating from dental school or haven't graduated yet. And I, I talk to them a little bit about implants and I tell them, general dentists are the most fitting people to restore implants because we're planning from the prosthetic down, which is how all implants should be placed. And the second thing is we learn to see with our hands. If you're doing a class two filling DO on number 19 or number 18, way in the back of the mouth, there is no way you're having primary visualization. Visualization, You don't yeah. see it at all. You see with your hand. You understand what dentin feels like. You understand what enamel feels like. And you can actually literally fill the margins as you're prepping those, prepping those fillings that same kind of tactile sensation is exactly what you need to be able to place implants with confidence.
0: Yes. And, and everyone has the skill. It's just a different skill set that you were never learned, never learned because you know um, it's hard in dental school. There's not enough time for graduates coming out. Now they can't even get their requirements done to do single crowns, let alone. Absolutely. Implants. So
1: absolutely.
0: So um Well, the last area is CT technology, and uh, I've been lecturing on this since I was a resident. Uh, And, you know, the the first CT scanner I had was $250,000. And, uh, you know, that's all there was 15 years ago. But there's a lot of other alternatives to buy a new CT right now. My opinion is it's going to depreciate right away. And it's really not worth it. There are companies out there. Uh, the company that I use is called renew 30 to 40% off, uh, the, of a new one, but they're certified. So what they do is they go in and they put all new software in and they build the machine. It's basically buying a, like a, a certified car. It works great. And you get a warranty on it. Um, there is no reason to buy a new one. I just had one of our doctors buy a iCat that was, I believe, five years old for $29,000 at the last course. Okay. Now wow. think about that. That's amazing. I, I mean, my, these newer machines are upwards of $100,000, some of them. And But what people go wrong is they, they look at this. And I want to make certain that you know this do not get a large field of view you only need a medium field of view large field of view takes pictures of things you don't want to be have to diagnose there's no reason to take the uh, an image of someone's white matter and determine if there's any pathology there so medium field of view is all you need and like i said the the certified prion make a lot of sense to me
1: and, and there's uh, there's an additional portion there uh, that you're not bringing up and that is in our litigian society, if you have it on screen, you are responsible for it. If there is something there, you're not responsible for diagnosing a brain tumor, but if you notice brain sand and you don't tell them to go to a radiologist or an oncologist because they might have a pineal tumor, and if you don't know what I just said, you need to take the courses that Randy offers.
0: Yeah. So um, I often hear this, well, where do I get started? Well, I'll tell you what. Here is what we do. Our courses, are they build upon each other. We start at the basic. You learn to do atrium extractions and you do socket grafting. You would not believe how much you increase your income just by starting to take out teeth and putting bone in. Absolutely. And it's an easy procedure. Also, you have to be careful that when you do take out teeth and you don't offer the choice of socket grafting, now... There is a standard of care issue because if that patient ever goes in someone else's office and they say, oh, why didn't they graft that socket? I want an implant. Now I need a a onlay bone graft. Now it's a problem. So you start there in the most important thing is your first case. Where do I see people who start their first case? They want to do an immediate placement. In a maxillary molar or mandibular molar, okay? Okay, it's crazy. First of all, you can't see back there and there's no bone. And certainly why work over a nerve? So what I have everyone do is look for the first bicuspid or possibly a second bicuspid. You look right up there, there's bleeding. If the patient bleeds, you're not going to see anything, but there's always a calma bone anterior to the sinus. It's a perfect site. It's not really in the aesthetic area. So it's an easy place to start. What So when you look at this, so that's what I have every doctor do the first day and it works. What you don't want to do is start on this, okay? Or this one. And everyone wants to take out teeth and place implants the same day. Yeah, you can get to that level, but why do it at the beginning? Patients, you know, I've never had a patient say to me, you know, Randy, I'm not gonna have this work done because it's gonna take too long. If you explain it to the patient, why you have to take the tooth out, graft the socket and let the hard and soft tissue heal, they understand because they know that you're doing it the best way. So when we teach these procedures, it, you built, you start from the basic and then you get more difficult. So you go from extraction to what we call division A cases, which is an abundant bone. Then B is where it's thinner bone, C and D where it's really atrophied. Where I see the lawsuit and the complications, people start with the C and D cases first. They do it backwards. So what we do is the way we teach this is we start with and while you're starting to do these extraction socket graphs in Division A cases, you're building your skill set and you're learning the treatment planning skill set, which makes a lot of sense and it works. And that's why, you know, we've been so successful over the 35 years of doing this. So, um, at you asked what type of courses we give all type of courses, we cross surgery. Uh, CBCT is one of our most popular and complications also. So, but these are the principles that are basically accepted all over the world. Um, the, if you look at the, um, I have two textbooks that I've written in the last three years, and both of those are uh, bestsellers that are used at most dental schools now. So um, the protocols and the classifications that Carl came up with, you know, 30 some years ago. They're, they're hold true and they, they make people profitable and successful.
1: Absolutely. And that is, that is the point, isn't it? Uh, it's, 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 it's not a great thing whenever you're successful, but not profitable. Yes. So, well, Randy, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to, um, to let us know where they can get those books first of all. And then I'm going to ask you to talk to us a little bit about the course that we're offering soon in Dallas, Texas, and what all would be covered there. And, and, and okay. whether or not the the curriculum is going to be entirely based in Dallas, one class after another, or if there'll be some travel to the Mish Institute as well. So uh, floor, okay. chairs, my friend.
0: Okay. So uh, first the the textbooks, the the first book that came out in 2017, right uh, when Carl passed away was called the Complications and it's called Avoiding Complications in Oral Implantology. And basically it's surgery, prosthetics, uh, maintenance of dental implants and how to prevent problems. If you do have a problem, how to treat it. And that, that is published by Elsevier. So it can be got, uh, you can purchase that on Amazon or Elsevier. That's the latest textbook that just came out this year is the new surgery edition. It's called the fourth edition of contemporary implant dentistry. And that's about almost 1300 pages of every aspect of the surgical phase that also can be, um, Purchase at Amazon or Elsevier. As for our programs, we usually have a we have a West Coast and an East Coast curriculum for the surgery program. It it entails five programs. You don't have to take all five. You can just take one or mix and match them. Uh, The first one is basically we go from the very beginning of um, patient evaluation go into the CT scan. I'm real heavy in the CT scan about anatomy, how to read them. And then we go into how to place implants into abundant bone. And this course, uh, the one we have coming up in April is in Dallas. Um, our next session, we're just finishing the session next week in Orlando and our, our East coast, um, curriculums, are done in Orlando, uh, and that will be more towards the end of the year, or September we will start back in Orlando. But the first session, what we do is it's um, basically didactic and hands-on, such as I show doctors how to stretch tissue. So you don't get incision line opening, incision line openings, most common complication What I see most general dentists, they don't have a lot of experience in stretching tissue. Mm -hmm. So what we do is every session we have, we give you um, lab procedures where you stretch tissue. We use pig's feet, pig jaws. We use other um, models to do that. So we do that for almost everything. Um, Bone density, you know, um, compressing bone using osteotomes we everything is hands-on so whatever i teach at the podium you go and you do it in the lab so so what i have have found is if you don't get to use these then it doesn't get here as well so um and that's through every session so session two is where we teach multiple implants and treatment of the denture ridge, mainly over dentures, things like that. Uh, Session three is ridge augmentation. We show you how to build up ridges from very small ones to very large ones. Usually now it's mostly tent procedures. We still do teach blocks, but that's not as common. Uh, The fourth session is basically what we call the sinus weekend. This used to be all lateral wall uh, procedures. Now we do most of them crestally. So there, and we, I have a model that you do about five or six of these during our weekend. Every one will have two millimeters bone, one will have four millimeters bone on their sinus, one will have a thick membrane, one will have a thin membrane. And then the last course is immediate load uh, weekend, and that's what we have next weekend in uh, uh, Orlando. So this is all immediate load, all in four, and then we also teach how to. Uh, treat peri-implant disease. If you look at one of the biggest problems in implant dentistry that not many people talk about is perimucositis, which is analogous to gingivitis, is upwards of 60% of our patients. Peri-implantitis, which is analogous to periodontal disease, is upwards of 20% of our patients. But most people don't know how to treat it the right way. So we actually, like for this course, they go through a hands-on lab on how to actually detoxify an implant and graft it. It's very easy. If you know the, the correct protocol on how to do it.
1: So I've got to, I've got to ask a question here. I want to get into PRF yes. and talk a little bit about that, Yes, um, but uh, <laughs> I have to make an admission here. I think I told you already that I'm one of those people you're talking to who spent too much on toys. One of the few, okay. one of the few that I don't regret is my auto I okay. love my autotome. <laughs>
0: yeah, it, it's surprise. I get. I did a webinar last night. There was mm-hmm. for Gladwell. There was eighteen hundred people on. And the first question was from the audience was, "How does how good does autotome work?" And I have a <laughs> video of it. I showed the video last mm-hmm. night, and I said, "You know what? Patients love it. Yeah. You know, I used to well, use you, a mallet. Oh, let me and, let me come at you with this hammer yeah, right here. <laughs> yeah." And the autotome, uh, if you don't know what that is, it's a pneumatic periotome that you place on your implant handpiece. And basically, it works itself. And what it does is you, you, com- you put it between the tooth and the crib form plate of the, the bone. And what it does is it compresses the bone and expands the bone. So it's easier to get out these little root tips and most teeth.
1: Oh, and, and, and sinus lift protocol with it, too, is, is yes. fantastic. And my, sinus
0: lift, it, it's even easier, yeah.
1: You know, it, it's funny. I felt, I, I feel, feel, you know, because I haven't written down the data, and I hate whenever people say, oh, this is my empiric proof, but I feel as if I have had less complications because what I noticed is, the the closer to the patient's face I got, I would change my rhythm and my and and my my strength of tapping on the osteotome, And with the autotome, you don't have to worry about that because it's it's very, very controlled. There's no human error except for over pushing. And I've I've, I've actually yes. heard of a couple of people who've overpushed into the sinus or so what have you, but throw some PRF in there, you know, look heal up. But um Talk to us. Talk to us a little bit about PRF, and is that something that you guys teach in your advanced um, in your advanced uh, classes?
0: Yeah. So in session three, uh, we teach PRF. Uh, now let me Fantastic. go back to the origins of PRF. Um, it was actually PRP back in right. probably the 90s. Um, one company called the Harvest Machine came out and we used to do that all the time. Uh, I, I, I don't like a lot of toys, but that's one that I do use. Now, I do it more frugally, though. We use um, basically we do a blood draw conventional centrifuge mm-hmm. it works Same great it. i do a it lot does. ton of bone grafting and, it and works and people, but what people we do you, oh the is,
1: angulation kills the cells and this kind of it doesn't, no, it no, doesn't.
0: that's that it says they say that it degranulates the platelets mm-hmm. too early that doesn't i have do seen too i've seen it work too long and it 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 works, I've got basically. I've got two
1: machines. I've got the original shukron machine, and I've got a Salvin machine. And I actually okay. have a a background as a, a molecular cell biologist, so I was very very familiar with doing histological surveys and things like that. Okay. And so I actually looked at them under my under my microscope, and there wasn't any difference. <laughs> so it's all BS. Yes. It's all sales
0: hype. It it, it you're a hundred percent right. And these people, they will spend thousands and thousands of dollars on this 3500 2500
1: something like that you can get it for 900 bucks seven 600 bucks sometimes
0: 500 um yeah what you need is you need a a centrifuge that will spin at 3000 rpms but to answer your question what we do at the mish course is i have everyone learn how to draw blood and i i i have videos on it so we show everyone but then we have everyone do it on each other Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how often I get e- emails from doctors tell me that was the best thing I ever did because it takes your practice to the next level. You know, a lot of dentists don't like to draw blood. And I always say, what other medical professional uses a needle more than us? We right. give more injections than anyone. It's just a different type. So if you know how, if you do it a couple of times, it becomes." I'm, commonplace. I'm and it's lazy, not hard
1: though. to do. So I, what I did is I actually I pulled in an RN who needed uh, SRPs, and I pulled in a friend of mine who needed some implants. And I said, okay, here's the deal. I want to be trained, and I want my entire team to be trained in phlebotomy in the state of Texas. And you guys have to be careful in your state laws here because California, for one, yes. I know you have to be a, phle- a licensed phlebotomist. But in Texas, we're we're wild west over here, so you can do anything you want. Um, you can get your assistants trained. Just do it through, you know, a course uh, for somebody who's an ENT or, or, a, or a rather a EMT and uh, have your team draw the blood. It, it's a step you don't have to take, but yeah, I still, if I go in and they're having a difficult time, I stick it one time, boom, all one and done. And that's important to be able to do. So you need a course like this. That's going to get you out of your comfort zone. So you can learn to draw blood so that when your team can't get it, and I allow mine two strikes, because I think three strikes and you're out, you try mm-hmm. twice, you don't get the blood, you come and you get me. And mostly, it's those little old ladies with the thin arms that you can see through their arms. <laughs> in yes. I yeah.
0: have no veins. Actually, I have, um, when I was writing the uh, textbook, I wanted to write about doing the PRF. And there's very few books out there on basically drawing blood the way that we do whether right. it's a butterfly or a vacutainer so um, I wrote a really comprehensive part in the in the textbook so if anyone really wants to learn how to do it they can really read that and then it makes a lot of sense but there there's not a lot of literature out there on the basics of it because you know a lot of people have someone come in and train them so but if you want to learn more about it it's some I think everyone should be doing in their office and it Absolutely. works. Absolutely. And you know what you don't need these huge disposables. You know, I got turned off from Harvest mm-hmm. back in the 90s. You know, the the disposable kits were $150. Right. And you threw half of the stuff away. Probably not half, 80% of the stuff away. And now what I use is a regular vacutainer um test tube and a butterfly or a catheter as long as, and- as long as it's glass and has no
1: citrate in it you're going to be able to make yeah. APRF. you're going to be able to make APRF plus if you have a plastic Eight. container with a, i believe a silicon coating is the one that we get um, but no no citrate then you can make IPRF. Yeah. it has something to do with the electrostatic charge on plastic wall containers uh, oh okay to the best of my knowledge that's why it works that way but um I was actually going to ask you, do you run two centrifuges as well? Do you put all your APRF in the first draw, IPRF in the second draw?
0: No, no, I I still do it. One, if you look at the studies, so Mm -hmm. um, platelet-rich plasma was the first one that came out, and you had to re-spin that, use two centrifuges or double centrifuge it. Mm -hmm. But if you look at PRF, PRF has been proven to be better. It has a higher concentration of
1: centrifuges to make PRF. I, I make IPRF in one oh. and APRF in the other. Is so that, oh, that oh, yes. one draw? Okay. Because I don't like to yeah. see patients twice. And you yes. can just put a little bit of saline, bleed out one tube, and then go for the rest. You, you just don't want to get a clot in your line. I learned that trick from my sister yeah. who's a cardiac nurse.
0: But okay.
1: But anyway, it's uh yeah, it's it it changed things. Patients don't want to be stuck twice,
0: but I do like having no, my no.
1: sitting on the side just in case I need to make some sticky bone or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it does work and it's everyone should be doing. It. And we, we've been teaching that for over 15 years now.
1: Definitely. My, my team calls it the magic blood boogers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It works. It works. Well,
1: well, Carl, this has been amazing. And um, I actually, I, I can't wait to, to get the chat with you some more and uh, and, uh, take some of these courses. As as, as you know, I do a lot of implants, but man, I learn implantology. I love it so much. I learn something new every time I take a course. In fact, I learn something new when I take the same course twice sometimes, you know, just something that your, your level of knowledge wasn't such that it's stuck on the little web of knowledge you've got in your brain. And uh, you know, you come back with a little bit more experience and all of a sudden you have this epiphany moment. You're like, I can't believe I didn't pick it up that up the first time I've, I, I, I could have been doing better. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. It's what it makes me feel great to know that I'm, I'm doing something that I can, I can keep learning for the rest of my life and provides me a great income.
0: And it's fun. You know, yes. I, I, I look at some of our doctors, especially late in their careers and they're worn out. This re-energizes their career. Uh, you know i i had one of our my attendings from when i was in residency in cross residency he was 75 years old he came through our course and he practiced for five more years surgically placing implants and he loved it so it it really energizes you so i like i said at the beginning i'm a huge advocate that all general dentists should be doing and and if you're not doing placing implants you're surely missing out on a you know big part right. of the, your potential practice
1: Absolutely. great revenue stream too and um, i'm i'm going to ask one final thing and yes. if you guys don't have a course in this i'm going to make a suggestion humbly that you you do so do you have a course in
0: getting the patient to say yes yes so we have what is called an auxiliary course okay and um paul homily used to run this course many many years ago that does not surprise me (laughs) yeah uh i mean paul i start i i've known paul since the 1980s and he's great he's just unbelievable but uh we kind of got away from it for a couple years we just brought it back so we do have an auxiliary course where doctors they bring their their staff, and basically it's a how to how to have the patients uh, go for treatment, but it utilizes the whole staff. So not only the hygienists come, the assistants, but also the front desk. Absolutely. And then we break them into different groups to um, learn these different ways of doing it.
1: I'm going to get you to stop your screen share real quick and then, okay. uh, and then ask you a couple of final questions before we close this down. And thank you so much for your, your time today. And, in 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 uh, answering my, my, my request to, to come on the podcast. What do you think about, um, the way that the world is changing right now, looking at implants? Um, it seems like, implantology is, is actually taking a race to the bottom where you've got these guys who are placing an implant and restoring the implant for a thousand dollars. And first of all, I don't understand how you can do that. <laughs> well, actually, now that I've seen yeah. the Alibaba, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I know how they're doing it. But, yes. um, yeah. So what do you think about that trend? Do you think that that's going to be something that's long lasting? Do you think that that is going to be is something that, um, that injures our profession long run or will that kind of die off as patients realize you, you can either have quality or you can have cost?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, my opinion, first of all, implantology, back when, uh, when I started, very few people did it. And a lot of people look down upon doing it. You know, you can talk to Paul Homley about this, uh, right. you know, People were, they they just thought this was voodoo, you know, doing it. Now it's become accepted. in companies like ClearChoice, who run these ads continuously, what they are, they're educating.
1: I agree. The, I completely
0: agree. The, I mean, they're educating everyone on this, that now it has become accepted. And, you know, it, it's, it's like anything, you know, you're going to have a lower end Um, someone's going to try to do something for an unbelievably low price, but I've, I've never seen that to be a problem, you know, in, in my practice, I just never saw a patient, a patient when they get an implant or something like this, they want it to be uh, a good job. They don't want some fly by night, you know, implant being placed in there or sub quality, implants. So I I really think that there might be, um, you know, a certain patient base that will go for that type of treatment. But, you know, I I highly recommend everyone that go back into their their patient base. And if they start explaining to their hygienists what implants do and how, you're going to see more and more uh, cases. It's it's interesting. I mean, how many, I, I mean, if you think about it, we even, we have endodontist placing implants now. Absolutely. We have orthodontist placing. Yeah. Yes. And, um, and, you know, it's becoming accepted because it's a good alternative to putting a crown on a tooth that you say to the patient, you know what, just don't bite on it. Or right. it's not going to last a year. Okay. Or doing an apicoectomy on it. It it's proven it's probably the most successful implant out of any implant that's placed in the body. So it has a great success rate. It's just, you have I, to know I love the way which one is the
1: implant. I love the way you said that I had not thought about talking to patients about that previously, but you know, a 95 to 98%, I mean, depending upon the case study you look at and depending upon what their criterion for success was um, 95% success rate on any implant placed in the body is outrageously high. Uh, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you? Well, I, I don't want to get too scientific here, but I do have a curiosity. Do you think it's because of the yeah. intramembran- inframembran- inframembranous bone formation as opposed to long bone formation, and that's why those bones are in our jaw are more accepting of an implant? Or, or
0: yeah. So just- intramembranous intramembranous bone is always better. It always heals better than endochondral types right. of bone. Uh, and the
1: is that because of the very i I talked about this
0: well i talked about this last night okay Um, the body when you put um submit it to trauma it reacts by healing the healing process so uh i was talking about extractions and Mm -hmm. if you have an extraction site that's not bleeding or an implant site that's not bleeding that's not good no blood is good because it brings bone growth factors into the area. It brings osteoprogenitor cells to form into osteoblast PRF. and PRF. <laughs> yeah. PRF. So um, the way that dental implants work, it causes a trauma to the body, but the, the, the body reacts in a good way. Right. Okay. The other thing is it's good type of bone. So we have what we call a primary stability when you put the implant in it's stable but then there's a secondary stability where it's more biologic where it the bone is regenerated in forms into that area which is one of the
1: reasons why carl did not like many implants other than the diameter and the and the sheer strength of them yes he, if i'm not mistaken believe that they never achieved secondary stability and it was always just a cortexual stability
0: exactly and, I don't know, and I that's don't know why that I we agree used with them, to put, but well you know, well, you know, a lot of them, like if you do orthodontic implants, you know, um, I do a lot of those, but I try to get bicortical stabilization.
1: Right. Absolutely. Because
0: they're putting a torquing force on it. If you don't get into that opposing you're gonna cortex, you're going to have a failure. So yeah, you, you there's a technique to that. And do you guys teach TADS at the Institute? That's cool. Uh, a little bit. I talk about them. Um, that to personally, I'd rather do a sinus lift than a tad. You know, you're usually <laughs> well, in,
1: I've got an ortho who comes into my office and I would love to be able to offer them tads to be able to upright posterior teeth, you know, but anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, yeah. so let me see here. I had one more question for you, but I got all, I got all excited about the science. So okay. let me see if I can remember what I was going to ask you. Um, Oh, yeah. What is your opinion on this? And I'm going to ask you because it is kind of a controversial thing with old school dentists. Most new school dentists are 100% on board with it. And I I see almost what I like to call a generational divide of people who came up having to visualize bone and use a foley or a bully gauge, rather, to, to see what their thickness was if you weren't flapping versus people who. It grew up, I like to say, on CBCT, and that is guided surgery. Um, Personally, I think it has a place. Um, I think that its place is not what most people think. I think most people think guided surgery keeps you safe, and I think most people think that it makes implants easy, but I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think it makes them fast.
0: What are your thoughts? Uh, I I tell you what, like I said, I've been involved. I started with Uh, columbia scientific in 1988 which became simplant or materialize uh so i've been doing guides from the very beginning uh personally i tell doctors i would rather you learn not to use a guide because if you use a guide for every case you're not learning the skills now there are certain indications for guides uh you know everyone wants to do everything fully guided and, you know, when you're right over the mandibular canal or you're right under the sinus, you know, doing it fully guided, you have to, I like to see what I'm doing.
1: Well, there's, there's, and, and there's an argument there too. Uh, and, and Randy, I, I never correct you because I, like I said, you're the man, but there's an argument over the meaning of fully guided and fully guided in the, in the modern sense really means to be able to actually place the implant from within the guide and to actually have your thread timing sequence corrected by the guide so it stops in the same place every time. So before we get into any controversy in what he's saying, what he's talking about is the older uh, the older um, definition of depth and angulation guiding as opposed to only pilot drill guiding. If I'm if if I may speak for you there.
0: Yeah. So well let me put it this way. The, the three main type of guides are the pilot guide which is only used for the pilot Drill, or the first or the second drill. What that does is that gives you the angulation and basically the depth. But right. then you have to do it freehand. But if you're not universal, using,
1: if you're not using a non-incutting drill, it doesn't matter if you use a pilot drill anyway, because you're going to go anywhere that that drill wants to go. So that's a caution exactly. for those of you who are new. Don't think you're safe just because you did that. You have to have a side-cutting only drill if you're going to use a pilot only. Yeah,
0: uh, The second type is a universal guide where you can use any system and it, however, the last drill, you have to use the surgical kit from that system. And then the third, the fully, like you said, is what the the true definition now is you place, the, you do all the drilling and you place the implant through and it's timed. Um, but amazing, there is a margin of error on that. But what what some of the disadvantages that people don't look at is if you look at uh, heat generation, which I think is one of the biggest causes Absolutely. of early implant failure. You know, if you look at the tube of that uh, template, that tube has a tolerance or an opening probably about 0.25 millimeters on each side. Yep. So is there enough? Irrigation getting down into that osteotomy site, so we keep away where using, you. Can...
1: Not even if you're using internal irrigation, internal irrigation, because it, yeah. just because of the pressure buildup, it's going to it's going to go where the least pressure is, which is the external channel. And that's something I have a yeah. hard time getting docs to understand whenever I talk to them.
0: But it, it, it's hard to get it, and that's why, like a lot of people like to do just flapless because the the old literature that stated if you lay a flap you get x percent of bone bone recession okay that's been totally disproven Mm -hmm. so the latest studies have shown there's really in if you look at bone loss and or implant failure there's really no difference between flapless and flapping Mm -hmm. so uh but heat generation is a concern and that's why um the way we teach is we we do a pumping motion. So Absolutely. we call it bone dancing where you come up and down and you let the w- irrigation g- get into the osteotomy site
1: Absolutely. to
0: prevent it because what happens if you generate heat? That heat will expand out from the osteotomy site instead of angiogenesis, blood vessels coming in, instead of the uh, osteoblasts coming in they'll go the opposite way yeah, heat and, and heat that's heat. why you see the early implant failure you
1: know that's almost that's almost a um, man that's actually making a pretty good case for actually doing side cutting with pilot holes um, if you're going to use a guide i still don't like it i still don't like it but um, no. you know, it'd be interesting to see if someone comes up with a, a side irrigation. You know how they have the, um, the cutout channels now where whenever you're yes. doing your keyless, you can, you can come in from the side, which that was a yes. great innovation. Um, it would be really great if someone could come up with something like that where the guide itself, you could use a Y splitter and you could split your irrigation between your handpiece and the guide itself so that you had constant yes. water going in water going in. Time. Yeah.
0: So, so what we do is we, we cut out usually the buckle aspect of the guide and we use like a monojet syringe. So you get external irrigation, but still sure. that sometimes isn't enough. Uh, the internal irrigation is coming back. You know, that was very popular many years ago. And then because of a sepsis, it, kind of went away, but right. now a lot of companies are starting to come back with that.
1: <laughs> I remember the first few implants I did, um, I had quite a few failures. And, I, and as soon as I say it, you're going to know why. So I'm going through it. I'm making sure that all of my instruments are perfectly sterilized. I, you know, I, I started only using a, a, a pilot drill one or two times and that was it. And I was throwing it out. And so, so I was using saline instead of just sterile water. I was using saline and so it caused coronation of the, of the red blood cells. And it it was, it was one of those epiphany moments for me. I picked it up one time, one day and I went, wait a minute, they taught me to use saline. Why the hell would I use saline? And it started making me really think, I think that was what really, uh, if if you can't tell, I'm very passionate about implant placement and and, and the science and the, and the techniques behind the surgeries. And, And I think that that was my moment of epiphany, where a light bulb went off and I said, you have to question everything you're taught, everything.
0: Yeah. 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 You you need an isotonic solution. Absolutely. You don't want a hyper or hypotonic isotonic because then you get cell death. And that's the same with even um, if you're using a touch in this chips from your drilling, you know Mm -hmm. how you store them. You have to make sure that you have, you know, the sterile saline, the sodium chloride.
1: So have you, have you heard that one a lot where people have come in or, do, or, because I know it's taught in a lot of courses. Oh yeah,
0: Well, yeah, a lot of, um, sterile water. I hear a lot, you know, regular sterile water. I tell everyone the easiest thing is just buy the 0.9% sodium chloride isotonic solution. And it's good for any implant placement and, or, um, bone graft and what we teach now is there's been some really good studies on chilling the sodium chloride so you Mm -hmm. put in your refrigerator and it's been shown to really prevent um burning the bone
1: yeah that's a really good idea
0: yeah so just put it in your refrigerator (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's really significant on how it uh, decreases the temperature of drilling in the to the your osteotomy very very so, cool.
1: Well, Randy, you have been more than generous with your time, and okay. um, I, I I'm not sure if I'm going to actually be able to make the class in Dallas. I had I have a, another obligation, but um, yeah. I I'll definitely like I said I I'm a lifelong learner. I'll definitely be taking the okay. courses. Great. Thank great. you for uh, for offering such a great deal to our members. And um,
0: mm-hmm. do you have any final words before I end this? I I just um, hope that anyone listening it is not beyond your scope to start placing implants and like i said you you do far more difficult procedures every day in your practice the thing that you have to learn is the cases that you shouldn't be doing okay so um you know, and that's just treatment planning, but the experience, and that's why, like I said, I like for doctors, their first case, I like to approve it before they even touch the patient yeah. because, you know, a lot of cases they'll get in, it's not a good case. There's tons of cases out there that are just so simple. And after you do your first couple, you'll see how easy it is. And, you know, it, it will, the light bulb will go off. Great,
1: great place to end it. Well, guys, thank you for wasting another hour of your time listening to the sound of my voice drone on. Thankfully, we had Randy here to uh, distract from that. And thank you for supporting the Deer Doc podcast. We'll see you on the other side. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Deer Doc podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Deer Doc podcast on all major platforms.